listeners. Today, Marie and I are interviewing Eric Weatherington from New Heights Property Management. And he talks about responsible growth. He pulls from his more than 25 years of experience starting, acquiring, and managing dozens of companies throughout that timeline. So make sure you stay tuned. Hey, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We're really excited to talk to you about responsible growth, what it is and and how you can maintain it when you're growing the company. But to get started, I wanted to see if you could just tell us, introduce yourself to the viewers who may not know you and give us a little bit of background. Sure. Of course, I'm Eric Weatherington. I'm the director and broker in charge of New Heights Property Management. Started this company about 10 and a half years ago and uh, in partnership with a a large real estate firm here in the greater Charleston area because our real estate agents realized they didn't have a solution to our uh, homeowners who couldn't sell their houses in in the most recent depression, recession. So that's when we we started the company, grew uh, very quickly, and uh, have have now been at it for 10 and a half years and and, uh, enjoying the ride. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's really cool. I like um, Marie and I also, it's interesting because I know you pretty, pretty well, obviously, because we work together on other things. But there were some things that I didn't know about you as Marie was doing some research. You also, I mean, you have a lot of experience just growing companies in general outside of the industry, right? Yeah, I got into the real estate services industry about 25 years ago and have uh, built uh a lot of different uh, business entities throughout those years, uh, joint venture, title companies, and other things. So, a lot of uh, a lot of startup experience, a lot of experience building companies and bringing people together and and seeing growth happen. Yes, that's cool. A lot of experience thinking on your feet too. I'm sure, which helps you a lot in the property management world. Exactly, um, which we always like. Yeah, and so given that you have all this experience standing up companies and you know growing them basically how would you define in the simplest terms what responsible growth is well d- defining <laughs> responsible growth <laughs> yeah in the simplest terms right exactly how about how about how about we couch it like this what does responsible growth look like and this is what i would say responsible growth looks like this you have an engaged team you offer great service to your clients and you're profitable and if all of those three things are true, then by the very nature, you're going to be growing. And, you know, but it, it takes a great team and it takes, you know, offering great service and then it takes profitability. So many people are, say they have a business, but they're not making any money. Well, they don't have a business, they have a hobby. And, yeah. you know, if you're not, if you're not profitable, then, then you don't have a business. And so you could be growing at, you know, great rates year over year, month over month, whatever, whatever. But if there's no profit coming back to the bottom line, then, then I don't think you're, you know, I don't think you fit the definition of responsible growth. You know, if your team members hate you and hate coming to work every day and they, they don't like what they're doing they're they, you know, then they're not engaged in what's going on. Well, then you're certainly not growing responsibly. And, you know, Again, we're in a service industry and property management. You got to be providing a great service to your clients. If your clients aren't happy, then they're going to be leaving. You might be growing. You might have, you know, 50 new doors every month coming in the front door, but out the back door, you're losing 75. Well, you could say, oh, well, look, I'm growing. I'm, I'm adding 50 doors a month, but your customers aren't happy and they're leaving, you know, within 30 or 60 days after you add them. So, that's not responsible either. So I think those three things are the three critical elements of responsible growth. So team, team profit, um, and retention. Service. Yeah, great, team, yeah, yeah, great team, great team, engaged team, great service, and profitability. So you know those three things seem you know pretty basic in hindsight of course, but um, how did you come to sort of like master balancing all three aspects? Is that something that um, you kind of just had to learn at the fifth company you stood up or for, for example, or was there a, you know, someone who 
told you, coached you, a book you read? How do you come um, up with this like full understanding of responsible growth? Yeah, like the philosophy essentially, because like just to add on to Marie's question, it's like it's seems basic, but most people don't hone in on these things that should be pretty apparent to hone in on. Well, I certainly made my fair share of mistakes as a uh, as a young entrepreneur and and a, and a young person engaged in business and leadership and management. Uh, and one of the things I learned that um, your your business, your team is only going to ever grow to the level that you as the leader are growing. So you as the leader are the cap of your business. So uh, whether it's through reading books or through, you know, attending, uh, you know, great conferences or, or podcasts or all these other things that, that we have available to us now to grow as a leader, I would say my understanding of these, these, uh, this responsible growth really came as a result of trial and error and, and learning and growing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, and also I feel like has your perspective shifted over the years about what each of those means to you? Like on the surface yeah. level, like how has that changed? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, really I've come to realize that, you know, the team has to come first and you've got to take care of your people. You've got to, you've got to hire the right people. You've got to make sure they're in the right seats on the bus, as Jim Collins likes to say. And, you know, that really has to come first. And if you put your team first, they will take care of your customers. And if your team is taking care of your customers, well, then guess what? You're going to be profitable. And so I'm curious. So you said that the leader of the organization is like the cap, right, of the growth of the company. So is every, does everything fall into the, the leader? So who is responsible for growth? Who's accountable for responsible growth? Is it just the leader? Well, I would say everyone is accountable for it, but the leader is responsible for it. So if, if your company is going to grow, the team has to buy in. You know, you can't just as a leader say, I want to double sales this year and, and I'm going to stand up in front of the group and set that goal at the beginning of the year and say, we're going to double our sales this year and then go sit in your office and expect that it's going to happen. Yep. That, that's not reality. So the reality is you have to help the team understand why doubling your size in this particular calendar year for, let's say is important to them and important to the business. And then they have to feel like they're engaged in the process. They have to have a clear understanding of what winning looks like. And, and frankly, with today's generation, how it's going to benefit me, you know, (laughs) you know, if we, if we double in size, how come that's good for me? And if I'm going to put in the time and the sweat and the blood and the tears to, to help make that happen, then I, I want to know how that's good for me. And so the leader has to cover all of that, you know, and, and make sure that they're ready to discuss all of that and make sure they're ready to, to bring that goal right down to each individual team member's level and say, here's how this, us achieving this goal impacts you. And here's how us achieving this goal impacts you. And then they, the team will hopefully buy in, they'll engage, and then you'll be able to move forward with, you know, trying to achieve the goal. But, um, you know, so, you know, the thing about growing, the thing about growth is it takes everybody. I mean, we were just talking about this with our team in our uh, staff meeting yesterday. And, uh, you know, our business development managers were sharing about how they've had some great sales calls recently as they've been out in the field talking to prospective owners and their prospective owners said, Hey, we've been on your, we've been looking at your Google reviews. You guys have a lot of Google reviews. You have great scores. And so we really, you know, don't need to spend a lot of time going through the motions. We're ready to sign up. Well, how did we get those Google reviews? We got those Google reviews because the team in the office is delivering great service and is asking for those reviews. And so the salespeople or the growth is, a, is easier because the people in the office are doing their job and, and they understand and they're, they're, getting, they're, by, they're bought in to, hey, we need to make these customers happy because happy customers give us good reviews. And guess what? Good reviews mean it's easier to get new customers. And so 
everybody needs to understand their role and understand the importance of their role in the process of growth. And then when everybody understands it and everybody buys in, then growth is so much easier. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that resonates with me and probably Marie a lot because we've obviously over, obviously, but I think we've mentioned this in a couple podcasts, that last year we started doing EOS and we have all of the rocks for each quarter that are the goals that we're setting in place for our company. But something that we learned um, after like the first quarter of doing it is that those rocks don't mean anything unless the rest of the team understands what their role in those goals are. Like how, how do I relate back to that, that rock? So what we tried to do this time was make sure that each rock we have, we know exactly what our role in it, in it is, whether it's like the account management team, it's like, okay, 24 hour response time or tickets closed or whatever it is and what that means. So I think that for me, that just makes so much sense because you can't expect people to deliver great results if they don't know the, the why and how it relates to them and how it's going to benefit them. Exactly. Yeah. If you think of a pyramid and all of the different pieces and parts of the pyramid and every team member needs to understand their role, their piece in that pyramid in making a stable uh, company. If you take the piece out of the middle, then the pyramid collapses in and of itself. If you take a piece off of a corner, then the pyramid topples over. So every piece is important and every team member has a role, has a piece that they have to play in this puzzle in building that pyramid, building that stable uh, object so that we can have a great company. I really like that example. Oh yeah. I the love pyramid. the analogy. Um, and so in practical terms, how does that look like in terms of, you know, the actions that the leader has to do? Is it a company meeting where you define each role and its, its, role, its um, connection to the goal? Is it individual conversations with each team member? Um, how do you have this perfect like, plan of mapping out which role maps to which goal and what benefit each team member has you know, if they reach their own goals? Well, it starts with a plan. You said you use the word plan and it starts with that. You, and this takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of planning. And too often people don't, they, leaders come up with the idea, hey, let's double sales. And so they think if I just stand up in front of people and tell them let's double sales, then that's going to, you know, some miraculously something's going to happen and we're going to double sales. Well, that's not it. It takes planning. It takes thought. It takes all of the different things that you mentioned. It takes team meetings. It takes uh, individual one-on-one -on -one meetings. It takes, you know, meetings with a, a small group. It takes constant reinforcement. You know, again, the, the truth in leadership, if you, if you say something one time, you know, nobody's going to get it. You got to say it seven times before people will really start to, to hear it and understand it and then be able to begin to buy in. So you have to say it seven times and you have to say it in different ways. So it has to be a consistent message through your team meetings, through your one-on-one -on -one meetings, through your email communications, through your company newsletters, or some, you know, some people are using, you know, internal podcasts or internal video messages from leaders to team members, all of those things, whatever you're doing to communicate with your team, the message has to be delivered consistently throughout all those mediums so that everybody understands the value of the message and everybody understands their importance and, and then you gain buy-in that way. And so how much time do you think a leader has to spend planning this? Because, you know, when you hear the word planning, there's this connotation that I have an idea how to do this. Let's implement it. But, you know, there are people who are more methodical, like I'm more methodical. I like sitting in a quiet room by myself with just my brain and I just list out every idea on an, on a whiteboard and then just that feels like a, a, the process that's been working for me. But um, what do you think um, would be the best approach to someone who owns a property management company? They already have a sizable team, but they don't have a plan yet and they have things that they have to get done, right? Um, owners calling, tenants calling, you know, reports due. How, how do you just stop everything and start planning? Well, you know, it's so important for a leader to understand what the highest and best use of their time is. And is the highest and best use of the, the business owner's time 
uh, calling back tenants who are, are not happy because, you know, their air conditioner went out today. Is the, is the, does that require the business owner or the business leader to, to be handling that phone call? Well, the answer is no, you know, unless they're the only person in the business. And if they are, that's, you know, then that's fine. Then you've got to figure out how to deal with it. But it's all about highest and best use of time. And, and Maria, so many people, so many leaders today do not create space in their schedule for thinking and planning. They don't go into that quiet room with the whiteboard, with the blank sheet of paper, and, and you know, set, set aside the devices, set aside the interruptions. I, do, I get out of the office. I mean, I can't do it in the office because if I'm in the office, people are coming with questions. There's always distractions. There's things. There's, you know, got a minute, all these things. And that's all good and fine, but that is only a small part of what the leader's responsibility is. A, the bigger part of what the leader's responsibility is, is to think and plan for the future of the business. Mm -hmm. And that future might be growth, but that future might be maintained. And, and that's okay, either one. You know, growth isn't, growth for growth's sake isn't necessary. Uh, but the leader has got to put themselves in a position where they can get away from the distractions, they can think, they can plan, they can formulate ideas, they can, you know, brainstorm, and then it's in that, when they give themselves that space, then they come up with the best ways to accomplish the objectives that need to be accomplished. But so many leaders, that's the last thing, that's the least important thing on their, on their calendar of events. And frankly, it's one of the most important things that a leader could be doing. How, how often do you dedicate that time as a leader? Do you do it like once a week, once a month, once a quarter? Yes. All of the above. All of them. So, yeah. <laughs> so I have, I have a, I have an afternoon on my calendar blocked out that I don't schedule appointments. I don't do anything other than catch up on my reading. So whether it's trade, trade magazines or sometimes it's podcasts or different things, catch up on my industry, things that I need to catch up on and then thinking and planning time where it's just, it's just time to really think about what's going on. How are we doing? And then every month, I do a similar thing when um, after we compile all our financials and all our metrics and everything else, then I sit down and spend a couple of hours every month looking over all the metrics, all the numbers, because numbers will always tell you a story. And, and again, thinking about what's working, what's not working, where are we at in terms of where we want to be to our goals for the year and whatnot. And then on a quarterly basis, it's kind of almost like a mini strategic review uh, meeting where you know I sit down with myself again looking at our, our goals and our strategic plan and trying to to understand okay how are we doing are we are we meeting you know are we are we hitting the milestones that we need to hit in order to get where we want to be at the end of the year what what would you say are some red flags that are indicators for you or indicators that you've seen in the past that something needs to change or else you won't be growing responsibly, you, you won't be hitting your profits, your team is unhappy. Are there any red flags that you've seen that you could give as advice to, to some of the listeners to keep an eye out for? Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, first thing, you know, look at, look at, are your customers happy? Are you getting a lot of phone calls from people who aren't happy? You know, are you getting a lot of complaints that, you know, my phone call isn't getting returned fast enough or my email's not getting responded to? I mean, that is a, that is a huge indicator of, a, of potentially a lot of things. You know, are there problems? I always start first, are there problems with systems? You know, are, is there a problem with our phone system? Is there a problem with our email system? Is there, you know, is there some techno technological reason why somebody could feel like they're not getting responded to fast enough? And then you, then you look at, um, you know, then you look at processes. Okay, do we, are our, are our property managers out of the office all the time? And so therefore, there's nobody in the office able to respond to the, to the questions and able to respond to the emails and, and able to return the phone calls and everything else. So if it's not the systems, then is it the processes? Okay, well, if it's not the, if the systems are great and the processes are great, then what do we got to look at last? Well, we got to look at the people. You know, do we have the people who either don't understand the importance of getting back to an owner or getting back to a tenant, or you know, are they 
are they burned out? Are they overworked? Are they struggling with something in, in their personal life that's affecting their business? All of those things. So, so then you've got to look at the people and figure out, is it, is it a people problem as to why we're not you know, responding? So that's, you know, that's just one example of where you can say, okay, customer complaints. You know, customers are complaining. And then you you got to walk through the steps to figure out what is it that is the root cause of the customer complaining. And then once you uncover the root cause, well, then guess, then as the leader, you got to figure out what to do about it. Oh, um, sorry. Sometimes Marie and I will talk at each other. You go first. <laughs> so um, it sounds like you have this cadence that you've developed um, in terms of planning, in terms of troubleshooting when things do go wrong. But um, what would you recommend to any listeners out there who are not the sole leader in the organization? They have a partner. Um, it's a joint venture. Um, and it's all well and good if both partners are completely aligned with 100% of everything. But this is not a perfect world. Um, there are disagreements. Sometimes one owner wants to be more aggressive with growth. The other doesn't. And yeah, so maybe somebody wants to maintain one wants to maintain the other one wants to grow like crazy. Yeah. So how would you go about that situation if you were in something like that? Well, it, it, you know, the, the question starts with why, mm -hmm. you know, why do you want to grow like crazy? Why do you want to just maintain? And in uncovering the why, then, you know, dictates the next steps. You know, maybe the person who wants to maintain is scared of growth, or they're scared of the investment that it's going to take in growth, or they're scared that, that they won't be able to handle the growth. You know, maybe the person who wants to grow doesn't see the value and the benefit in, in the time, the, the freedom that comes with maintaining a, a a current, you know, unit count and, and enjoying, you know, the fruits of their labors that we've worked hard and we've gotten to this point and we really don't need to be the next Walmart, you know, and, and that's okay, you know, so, you know, so you got to understand the why behind each of those different, different viewpoints first. And then partners, you know, partnerships are, can be challenging. They can be great and they can be challenging. It just, it totally depends on the people and it depends on the underlying you know, the underlying why. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a big believer, ultimately, somebody's got to make the decision, and somebody's got to decide, you know, what we're going to do. And then everybody needs to get on board. And so, you know, I've seen some partnerships work where they actually have a rotating, uh, rotating presidency, shall we say, where you've got, you know, three or four business partners in a company. And this year, you know, partner one is the president, and partner two is the vice president. And then next year, they reverse roles. And so next year, partner two becomes the president and partner one takes the vice president role. And I've seen that work really well, but, you know, in, in certain situations with the right people. So there's a lot of different ways you can, you can work that out and figure that out. But it really starts with everybody understanding the why. Why, why is that your position? Why is that your position? And then Either we can, you know, un we can help allay the fears and figure out how we can get on the same page or, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes maybe it means, you know, we have to agree to disagree and, and move on. Yeah, I, I think the underlying thing here is if you're in a partnership and you're disagreeing on, for example, what should we do for the next five years, the key thing is first to be open and listen to what your partner's fears are and like, okay, why do you want to just maintain, right? Um, and the other partner also has to be open to listening to, okay, why, then why do you want to grow? And I think without that openness, it's like, okay, you're just going to keep butting heads and it's not going to be, it is going to, um, the vibe will flow through the company when the leaders are in conflict, the rest of the company also doesn't feel cohesive. You don't know who to follow. You don't know what you should be doing. It's almost like your parents are fighting or something <laughs> like that. So it's like, and well, 
you have to have a tiebreaker almost, or, or like, I really liked the, the rotating presidency. That's such an interesting concept. Cause it's like, if you don't have somebody at the end of the day, that's making the final decision, that's exactly what could happen. It's like, well, you it's, it's critical that the leadership has to get in a room and, and have their, have their disagreements and have their, you know, their debates and everything else. And that, that should be healthy and it should be strong and it should be, you know, and, and it should be engaging and, and those, those debates need to happen. But, but then once, once they leave that room, they have to leave that room with one voice and, and, and it can't be, it can't be, three people, you know, the three partners standing up in front of the team and one partner saying, okay, we're going to go this direction. And when the other partner saying, well, I didn't really want to do that, but okay, I guess we will. I mean, that just destroys morale and it destroys any cohesiveness that you think you're going to have, uh, you know, moving forward with that team because the team knows and sees, like you said, that the partners aren't in agreement. And so then it's going to be the, well, daddy said, no, so I'm going to go to mommy and see what yeah. she said, you know, kind of a, kind of mentality that that we see in our young kids sometimes but um it's so it's important that the the, the partners the, the business owners the leadership team on any company that they go off they get in their room they have their knockout drag outs they get their debates they but then once a decision is made they leave with one voice and they go out there and they implement and they and they they do it with one voice is that this is something I meant to ask a little bit earlier too? But we keep talking about leaders and business owners. Um, is the is the leader always the business owner? If you have two business owners, um, would you think it would be a good idea to designate somebody else on the team to be the leader and be the voice for both business owners to kind of be the middleman? Is that something that you've seen or that you've seen work? It depends. It depends on on the whether the owners are in in the business daily or not or they're just investors you know it, so every situation is going to be unique and different as to how that's going to play out i mean some business owners merely are investors and and they're not involved in the day-to-day -day operation and they've they've put a person in place who they trust to make the decisions on a daily basis and and you know go do your thing and and that's okay and that 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 can work with the right people in place. The biggest thing to understand about all of this is people are different. People are unique. And so every scenario and situation is going to be different based on the strengths and the abilities of the individuals that are at play. Now what happens sometimes is ego gets in the way and somebody says, oh, well, I'm the business owner, so I should be doing this. Well, maybe they're not the best person to be doing that. Maybe they don't have the skills to lead the team and they're, they're, they would be better served hiring somebody to lead the team and they being the rainmaker, you know, being the one that's out there drumming up the business or finding new acquisition targets or something else. But, you know, and so we sometimes business owners get stuck with the ego mentality that I've got to do everything because I'm the business owner. And sometimes that's just not the best, the best case scenario. And so do you, do you have any like personal experience where you realize that, hey, you know what, maybe I'm not the best person to do X and Y, let me bring in someone to do that for me, just so we add more like meat to the concept? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, when I started, the, when I started the property management company, you know, now and shoot, so it's been 10 and a half years ago. I mean, it was, you know, after about six months and it was just me, but I was actually after about three months and it was just me. Okay. And, and of course the market conditions were perfect and we had a, a large real estate company. So we were getting a lot of referrals in. And so there was just, I mean, we were slammed right away. And, and I kind of, uh, I remember sitting in the office thinking to myself, there's two options. Option number one is, you know, is to, to, not do this for very long because I'm, I'm going crazy with all of this stuff. And, and, yeah. and, and I'm not, I don't want to be the one, you know, hanging up signs and lockboxes every day and, and dealing with these tenant complaints and all this stuff. Option number two was grow this company big enough so that I didn't have to do those things. And so I chose option number two. So, you know, and I said, I'm going to surround myself with people who 
enjoy that and want to do that. And I'm going to grow this company big enough so that I can do the things that I like to do. Strategic planning, long-term thinking, uh, you know, business growth, those types of things. So I made that choice. And so then, then that helped me. Yes, I still had to dive in and do all of those things that I didn't really want to be doing until I got, I reached the point where I could, you know, put in place a supervisor and then put in place a manager and then, you know, move from there. And so um, do you at any point in time involve any of your team members in the strategic planning? Because, you know, in their previous question, it sounded a lot like, you know, the, the thing that works best for you is quiet time. You set aside a day every week and then you have like a check-in every month and every quarter. But how does your team come into play? Is it like top down? Is it bottom up? Is it just like co continuous, you know, back and forth? Yeah. So the team has to be involved and engaged. So we, we do a, you know, we do a annual strategic planning where we involve some of the key people on our team in a, in a day long planning session. And then um, we do, you know, then we present that plan to the whole team. And then every month, I'm giving the team an update as to how we're doing on that plan. And then throughout the year, we strive to have, um, you know, smaller meetings, you know, quarterly check-ins or, or every six months, sometimes a check-in, depending on the year and, and, and how things are going, have those check-ins where we get the, get a few of the key people back together and, and just talk about what's going on in, in the business. But yeah, there's no, I mean, you know, no leader in my opinion can um, top down leadership is just, you know, is not, I mean, the leader is always responsible for everything, but it's the team that does everything. And so if you're not, if you're not engaged with the team and asking the team what's working and what's not working and listening to their feedback and taking action based on what they're telling you, then it's going to be hard to be successful long-term. Yeah. What if, um, so what if you're somebody that wants to have all of these things, have profit, have a good team, have great service, but they're in that position that you were in the beginning where they are doing all of these things. They want to move forward, but they just aren't in a place to necessarily hire people right away. Are there any solutions that you think would be beneficial to those people while they're kind of like in the middle stages to help save them some of their own, I guess, mind? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, use, using virtual assistants, you know, using technology, um, you know, offload some of those uh, lower level tasks so that you can schedule yourself some, some think time, some white space in your calendar to do some of that thinking and planning. Because you're, I mean, if you are, if you are trying to grow to a point where you can bring on full-time staff and, and do these other things, if that's your goal, then you're going to have to spend time developing processes and procedures. You're going to have to spend time building out how do I want to do this? Because the moment you hire your first person, they're not going to be in your head and know exactly what you want. They've got to have the handbook. They've got to have the policy manual. They've got to be trained. And so if you don't take the time to think that through and kind of lay that out before you bring the person in, then you're just creating a disaster because you're going, they're going to come in. They're not going to know exactly what your expectation is. They're going to do something. You're going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated. The customer is going to be frustrated. And it's going to end up hurting you rather than helping you. So I suggest looking at your technology solutions, looking at use of virtual assistants or other things that you can do to offload some of those more mundane tasks that will free up your time so that you can do the, okay, let's build a policy around this. Okay, let's build a procedure for that. And then now I'm ready to hire my first full-time person so I can coach them and train them in the right way. And then we can move forward. I think that's perfect because I, I, most people think that the first thing that they have to do is hire somebody and they're like, well, I can't find the right person or I don't have time to train somebody, but it makes a lot of sense to just think of some of those things that you can have someone do where you don't necessarily have to train them a lot on it or have technology do for you while you figure that out. I think that's really great advice for sure. Yeah. And I think sometimes 
people get into this misconception that, hey, if I hire smart people, they can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> now, and, and I'm a big believer in staying out of people's way and letting people do their jobs. But again, my, you know, my, my five-step process is hire the right people, provide them with the training they need to do their jobs, provide them with the tools they need to do their jobs, provide them with a clear expectation for the desired outcome, and then get out of their way. So, you know, don't micromanage them. Don't be looking over their shoulder all the time, you know, but, but, you, but that only works if you hire the right people, give them the training, give them the tools, and give them clear expectations. So you want to hire smart people, but you can't just hire smart people and on day one say, here's your desk, go at it. All right. Well, smart people can figure stuff out, but it takes time to figure stuff out too. So even if they're the smartest person in the world, they're not going to look at something and be able to figure it out in two minutes. They're going to have to study it, research it, figure out the best way to do it, which any motivated, intelligent person is capable of. It's just time. It really is. So I think um, that, that also is something that helps us a lot. It's like when you give people the tools that they need and you can kind of get them to a point where you don't need to train them as much, you just need to provide feedback on, on, on things they can improve. And I, I actually like wanted to ask another question because you brought up something that you mentioned um, earlier, or you, you, you mentioned the people in technology again, and it made me think to something that you said earlier. Um, if there's an issue trying to figure out what the source of that issue is, if it, if it is a person and it's somebody on the team, how do you handle that? Do you, do you first figure out if it was something that they can be trained on or if it's not something, how do you know if it's something that you can or can't fix with a, with an employee? Well, you don't know until you talk to them and until you, you build some, you know, you build a bit, some better understanding of what's going on. And, and sometimes that, that takes time, but it takes conversation. And so, again, as a leader, you got to be willing to have the conversation, to have the, the yeah. difficult conversation of, hey, what's going on? And, and don't just don't take the first response as the answer, because the first response is the first response is like the leaves on the tree. You know, when you're looking at the leaves on the tree, you don't see the roots. You know, you got to get out the shovel and you got to dig up, you got to dig, dig away the dirt in order to see the roots on the tree. So you've got to, you got to spend some time with the person. You got to ask some questions. You got to ask probing questions and, and you got to let them talk and you've got to uncover the root of what the problem is. Is it the problem that they didn't know? They didn't have a clear expectation. Is the problem that, you know, there was a, there was an issue with technology or an issue with with something, or is it really truly a people problem? Someone who, someone who wasn't trained properly, you know, and, or, or is it just someone who is in the wrong seat on the bus? We've, I've found that, you know, more than one time where somebody just wasn't in the right seat on the bus. And, and so I, you know, shame on me for hiring them and putting them in that seat because, you know, they, it, they were never going to be able to be truly successful and truly satisfied in that role. But when I move them over here to this seat, all of a sudden they become a rock star, and you know, and that's that's fantastic. And so I love it when that works out. And and there's other times where they're just on the wrong bus. And yeah, you know, I remember as a young leader, I mean, I was always, oh man, you know, you have to you you have to let somebody go, you have to you know help them find another job or whatever. And and that always bothered me, but until I learned this, you know, this truth that if I keep somebody on my team who's not performing well, and I'm only keeping them there because I, as the leader, am afraid of the confrontation, what, what happens come annual raise time or, you know, the time that I'm reviewing them and I'm thinking about raises, am I, am I giving them a very good raise? No, because I'm just not really satisfied with their performance come bonus time, what am I doing with the bonus number? Well, their bonus may not be as high as other people. And so really what I'm doing is I'm sentencing them to a, a life of mediocrity because I'm not happy with their performance. And so I'm, I'm subconsciously living that out in review time and raise time and bonus time and other things. And, and that's, that's a shame that some, I would keep somebody on my team for four or five, six years 
like that rather than sitting down with the person, you know, at the moment that I see and realize that they're on the wrong bus, then I, I owe it to them to sit them down and just say, hey, this isn't working. Here's why. We've tried this and this and this, and we're still having these problems. Let's, let's shake hands and walk away as friends. You move on to find something that you are more fulfilled at, a, a job that you're more fulfilled in, that you're happier in, that you're going to do better in, and that will ultimately be better for you and better for your family than if you stay here and be mediocre for the next five years. So if we would, as leaders, if we would think more about the person that we're dealing with and put aside the, the angst or the concern in our, in our belly about having the difficult conversation, I think we would do our, our businesses a better service and certainly the individual a much better service yeah. as well because then they can go on and do something that they're going to be good at and going to be happy at and, and ultimately be, you know, be uh, treated you know, financially and rewarded financially for the success that they have there rather than sitting in my company, not being successful and just kind of, you know, floundering. And I love that because it's not, Oh, you're the worst. You can't do anything. It's, Hey, this isn't a good fit. Like exactly. if you need a recommendation, by all means, I'll give you a recommendation. And I think, yeah, I love that mindset. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons people get that hit in their stomach when they have a situation like this because they're they're concerned about their business but they're also concerned about the person's feelings and not wanting to hurt them but you're absolutely right in the long run you're still hurting them you're hurting both people yeah. exactly. you can't force something um so right. why not as soon as you know it's not the right fit make the decision and and part ways on a positive note Exactly. You're hurting the business. You're hurting the, the person. You're hurting your team because your team's not happy because, that well, that person isn't pulling their weight or that person is, yeah. you know, constantly complaining or whatever the problem is. I mean, it, nobody wins when the leader, you know, takes a pass and says, well, we just, we'll just kind of, you know, shove this under the rug. Nobody wins when we do that. No. Well, and it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, that the rest of the team can feel it. And, and, being a leader is hard. You have to make hard decisions, but you're doing it for, for everybody to make sure that you're meeting the goals that you want to meet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I just had this insight as you were talking about, um, you know, making sure that you are, ha you have people in the right seat in the right bus. But I also thought like, since our topic is responsible growth, right? A lot of times when the topic of growth comes up, the first thing that comes into mind is growing doors. But the unspoken truth is in order for you to sustainably grow the doors, you have to grow the team. And you can't just grow the... It's like when you grow the doors for the sake of growing the doors, you end up with properties that you hate managing because the owner doesn't really care. The owner doesn't want to invest any money to put it up to standard. It's the same thing with your team. If you're just growing the team for the sake of growth, because you just need a warm person to sit down there because you can't handle the influx of new doors and you know, it affects the entire team. It affects your performance and it, it all like it's, it should work together. But I think um, the misconception is that they're separate things. Well, Maria, you've hit on it in a very important topic and they're not separate. And in fact, I would argue that growing your team comes before growing your doors because you know people say well I don't have money to invest in training my team I don't have money to invest in helping my team get better and grow that okay so you're gonna so you're gonna leave your your company to a bunch of people who you're not training and you're not you're helping to grow and be successful you know well well but then they say well what but what if I spend a bunch of money to train them and then they, you know, two years down the road, they leave and they go work for one of my competitors. And I said, okay, well, what if you don't spend the money to train them and then they stay with you for the next 10 years? You know, which is worse? So, you know, you, we've got to uh, get away from that mindset of, I don't want to train my team or I don't want to see them get better because they might go work for the competitor. They might stay with you. So let's get them trained. Let's coach them, invest in them. I mean, we're constantly investing in our team, whether it's sending them off to different classes or courses or, or doing different things that we can do to, to see our team 
grow and learn more and be able to do more internal training, external training, bringing training people in, doing all kinds of things because we want our people to grow. And, and I, I tell people, I tell my team this all the time. I say, look, if your goal in life is to become a rocket scientist, then I want you to tell me that's your goal and I will do everything that I can do while you're here working for me to help you along the path to get to that goal. But I'm probably not going to be in the rocket science business. So, you know, so at some point you're going to have to leave me, but that's okay. Because, you know, we both, we both have that mutual understanding of where we're, where we're going. I'm not going into the rocket scientist business. You want to be a rocket scientist and, and, and that's good and fine, but let me help you along the path so that you can ultimately get to where you want to be. And if I take that attitude as a business leader, then my team will be, they will, they will love coming to work every day. They will help you. They will do the, go the extra step to take care of your clients and customers. And while you have them, you will get the best version of themselves that they can bring. So the whole responsible growth topic, it's like, service, they all relate to your team. I feel like everything always comes back to the team and every, right. every person I talk to every podcast I listen to, um, it is, it's making sure that you're investing in your team. I just, I love that because, um, I've, I think in any business you see firsthand what happens when you give people the time that they need to, to learn and be good at what they do and you see what happens when you kind of maybe slack off a little bit and don't give them the attention that they need or the resources they need. And it has a really big impact. Um, I mean, going even back to what you mentioned very, very early on in our discussion, all of the reviews that your team gets you that kind of have a domino effect that help everyone. I think that, and you know this, if you didn't invest in your team to be those, um, the foundation of your business, you wouldn't have those property owners signing on as easily as they would if you didn't have all of those reviews. Um, so I think, I think that's just a really big takeaway. It's like responsible growth, um, is looking, looking at profits obviously, but looking at how you're going to get to those profits. It's the goals that you set in place. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people, more and more people that I talk to are, are understanding this more. And I think it's just because of the ever-growing education in the property management industry. New people that are getting into it have all of these resources that they didn't use to have to make um, it easier for them to not make the same mistakes that a lot of people made early on. Um, but I think overall, responsible growth to me right now is making sure that your team's in place before you really do anything or your resources are in place. Right. Yeah. So do you have any like parting words to our listeners out there who are thinking of growing, who have been, who have opened their eyes now to this concept of responsible growth and, you know, maybe they can't wait to get started. Maybe they're scared. What would you say to, you know, those sets of people? Well, I mean, first of all, we've, we've got to, I think I want to, you know, pop the balloon that if, if I'm not growing to be a big, huge property management company, then I'm not a success. And, and I think we've got to pop that balloon because, you know, too much, too much is put on, well, I've got to be in multiple markets. I've got to manage over a thousand doors. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, and that's just, that's just not, that's not true. Don't look at other people to gauge, you know, what success for your business means. So you've got to look at, at where you are. You've got to understand what your why is, like Simon Sinek says, and, and then ultimately that can help you dictate or map out on the whiteboard what your company is going to look like for the next two to three years. And, and you know, anymore, I mean, back in the day, you know, when I first started in, in management, we would do five-year or seven-year or 10-year plans, but you can't do that anymore. I mean, it's just business is changing so fast and so rapidly that if you've got more than, you know, 12 to 24 months is about the most you can really look out and, and see. But, but on a bigger scale, answering some questions like, do I want to be in a multi-site, multi-state situation, you know, and... And, you know, what is, what would that look like if, if I 
was a business owner and I owned an office in Charleston, South Carolina, and in North Carolina, and in Georgia, what would that mean for me and my family? Well, that would mean I'm going to have to be on the road. That would mean I'm going to have to, you know, da 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 and, and these kind of things. And is that where I want to be? Yes or no? There's not a right or wrong answer there. It's but it's, an, it's a question that you have to come to grips with yourself. And then once you come to grips with yourself of where you want to be and what that looks like, then just be the best version of yourself and the best version of your company that you can be. Provide great service to your clients. Take care of your teammates. And, and if you do those things, then I think profitability takes care of itself. And you're staying true to yourself. You're doing what you want to do. And and you're enjoying life and uh, and doing well for your community and for your customers and your team. Well, I think that everything everything you mentioned resonated with both Maria and I. I think that the people will listening will also just get a huge benefit from this. I think seeing the idea or listening to growth, profit, all of this just from different perspectives helps us figure out what we do want. It might be you want to be the big company or it might be you just want to grow a business so you can give it to your kids when you retire. Um, that might be all you want. Um, so I think the more that people are able to think about these things, the better decisions they'll be able to make for their business. So thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I'm really excited My to hear this. Um, no. We will... Well, I feel like I say this every time. We'll have you again in the future, but I totally, I, I love talking to you. You know, um, whenever we get on a phone call, I just jibber jab with you for like 10 minutes. And then I'm like, wait, we have to get on track. So sorry. Um, so this was really fun. Um, thank you. And to our listeners out there, if you guys have any questions about anything we talked about with Eric um, or anything spiked your interest that you think we should talk about more, let us know. We would love to ask Eric some more about it um, or talk to anybody you think you would find value from. Um, thanks for listening. Great. Thanks guys.